Welcome to the Sustainable Century by Designer Disaster, where we take an honest look at emerging trends in sustainable economic development and why some companies will thrive and others won't, both now and in the decades to come. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Glad you could join us to share and debate ideas and experiences about how consumers, stakeholders, companies, and governments are helping, or maybe not, to create a more sustainable world. Before we get to our theme today, I'd like to remind you, you can visit us at thesustainablecentury.net or write us at info at sustainablecentury.net. Send us a question, themes to think about, or interesting people you'd like to hear from. We're back with David Chandler. David's associate professor at the University of Colorado in Denver. Uh, welcome again, David. Thanks, Mark. Now, in the first part of our discussions, we left off talking about working conditions in Bangladeshi uh, textile factories. In it, you asserted companies will do, well, pretty much what stakeholders allow them to do. What I want to know is whose fault is it when something really disastrous goes wrong? Now, I know you know that December 3rd was the 40th anniversary of the Bhopal uh, Union Carbide tragedy in India, and I was reading in the New York Times an article where a security guard there at the plant was quoted saying that, gee, it was a great job for him, a formal job, uh, regular salary, and even though he knew things weren't quite right at the plant, something, in fact, well, a lot of people knew. Can I just jump in there? Because, again, I see all of these decisions as the aggregated effect of multiple stakeholders making decisions. So that security guard at the plant was a stakeholder in the company, one of many, right? All employees were stakeholders, executives were stakeholders, the government is a stakeholder, suppliers, distributors, everybody's a stakeholder of the firm. And so all of those stakeholders make individual decisions as to whether or not to keep that company in business or put it out of business. And that security guard, by deciding to take the plum job over possibly alerting somebody to what he saw as being, you said, wrong at the company. That's a, an individual decision that he makes. And there are consequences to those decisions. And it's not, I'm not, you know, putting the blame for the disaster on that one security guard, but there are multiple people who probably suspected something was wrong. The government probably let various licenses lap or didn't inspect facilities on a regular basis or suppliers or distributors. They probably suspected that something was was wrong and and we decide whether or not we're going to stand up and say we want to change this or whether we're happy for things to go on as they've been going on and so i don't blame the company for what happened i blame the stakeholders for what happened and that's the same with every company and every decision that's made right so if you look at the basic stakeholder model executives are included, employees are included, directors are included, shareholders, everybody's included. When you take away the stakeholders, there's nothing left. There's a collection of assets, maybe a factory here, there's some brand value, but there's no agent. Nothing can act without stakeholders being involved. And so what the things that, that are done in companies' names are really the aggregated effect of all these stakeholders bringing their interests to bear and an outcome resulting. You know, companies don't exist, essentially. They're just pieces of paper. Um, what, they, what, what exists is the stakeholders that collectively come together to... So I think it's another 
fault I see within the CSR community is that it's very silly for us to stand outside and say McDonald's must do this or Walmart must do this or Apple must do this. What we're really saying, we should appeal to the stakeholders to bring their interest to bear in a way that changes the outcomes, the behavior that's exhibited. I don't think anybody in the corporate sustainability movement, if I can call it that, uh, would disagree with you about stakeholder responsibilities. And, and it may just be a matter of, of means. I mean, take the diverse set of stakeholders, communities, mothers, consumers, some governments uh, who are pushing for divestment from fossil fuels. Not all of these stakeholders are equally uh, well-informed and, and most have no real or powerful voice. So, so I guess my question to you is, if a stakeholder's ability to express the truth as they see it and have that truth heard, if that's the litmus test for influence, then not all stakeholders are equal, are they? And, and does that make their opinion if, uh, less important than those with a more influential voice? Yes, yeah. No, if I, if I as a single consumer want to protest uh, about Walmart, uh, the chances are my protest is not going to make any difference. If the CEO of Walmart decides to change company policy, then he or maybe she at some point um, will have a much bigger impact on, on outcomes. I mean, that's just... that's. A factual statement well, to say that in relation to Walmart, my opinion is less important than the CEO of the company. Well, I was reading the, the other day about a survey done by the International Food Information Council and the Pew Initiative on Food and Biotechnology, both reputable institutions. And they found, and I'm going to change gears, going from Bangladesh to oil and now to GMOs or genetically modified organisms. Uh, not really about GMOs per se, more about stakeholder responsibility and access to information, the things that we've been talking about. But anyways, the, the survey found some 53% or so of Americans, they don't really know what GMOs are. And I would have to raise my hand uh, with that crowd, even though I've read something about them. Um, but they, they found that once the, the people surveyed learned or had some basic information about GMOs, 50% thought they were probably not a very good thing. And 75% of those surveyed wanted GMOs to be labeled. Uh, what do you make of labeling things to inform stakeholders, consumers in this case, as a means to tap and amplify sustainability, sustainability value-based uh, market signals. As a as a professor in a university, I should say that more information is better than less information. The the trouble is misleading information doesn't necessarily help, and there's there's a curvilinear relationship with information. So very little information doesn't produce good outcomes, good decisions. But too much information doesn't produce good decisions either, because it's just there's just too much. It's like drinking from the fire hose, right? Yeah, so I can't you, process yeah. it. So I just guess some sort of optimal level of good information and how do you get that would labeling help i think it probably would help in this respect but there's a lot more that needs to go on in terms of understanding what gmos uh can and can't do and what potential threats they might pose 
So my understanding, and I'm no expert in this field, is that we cannot feed the current population of the world, uh, for example, by farming organically. Now, I know there are people uh, in, the, uh, in the food industry, sorry, in the activist area uh, who disagree with that. But from what I've read, that, that seems to be the case. And what I've also read is that there doesn't seem to be much evidence that GMOs are detrimental to humans. There's a lot of science on this, and the vast majority is that there's no detrimental effect. And so what I see is a bit of a mismatch between people who are against GMOs, who uh, don't account properly for the science that's been done in this area, um, and these same people who tend to also be environmentalists, they support the science on climate change. They do not support the science on GMO foods. Okay, well, let's say the science is confusing, uh, but what do you make of the recent referendums in Oregon and Colorado where mandatory GMO labeling was actually rejected? Uh, and some would say because of unequal stakeholder power. In, in Oregon, supporters of the No Labeling Coalition which included uh, such corporate Goliaths as DuPont Pioneer, Monsanto, and Coca-Cola, Coca amongst others, spent nearly 21 million, setting a record for the most amount of money ever raised and spent on one side of a state ballot initiative. Now, do you think that kind of spending and that kind of voice uh, makes for, uh, clear market signals about what people want with regards to GMO and sustainable economies. I mean, I'm sure they've published multiple press releases on this, and so people should consult them. I, I've got no idea what their, their, their thought behind financing those campaigns were, the anti-campaigns. Yeah. My suspicion is that they would, they're, they're afraid that labeling in the absence of broader educational information would skew the debate against their interests and but, that if they if all the information came out they might be more in favor of of labeling but they they, they would see it if, if the only piece of information consumers get is that warning label on the on the product that they would think that's not a fair assessment of the pros and cons of of these foods yeah yeah I, i'm not sure uh... People are going to want poisonous pesticides injected into the seeds of their foods even before it's grown. But, but David, my point would be this. Right or wrong, there is enough question marks about GMOs to label them. I mean, we're not asking them to shut, shut it down. We're asking for labels. Nudge the market in the right direction, so to speak. Listen, we worked for Monsanto here in Mexico, and they are very, very smart people. And I know that if they get the market signal squarely on their desk, which I think they're kind of getting now, they get the market signal that folks are just not going to get this GMO thing. It is too complicated. But even if they do, they're probably not going to accept them. Well, the folks at Monsanto and DuPont, etc., well, they're going to find ways to protect their assets. They're smart folks. They've got billions of dollars worth of sunk costs. And... They're right, right now, they're afraid of the market changing uh, underneath their feet, and they're trying to stall what the market wants. That's not capitalism to me. That's stalling the great and uh, expansive innovation 
that companies like Monsanto could put towards this problem, that capitalism can put towards this problem, and to have more sustainable outcomes. You, you just can't have it both ways. I So if you want to talk about for-profit financing of political campaigns, which I think is what we're talking about, then an important stakeholder in that discussion is the U.S. Supreme Court. Absolutely. And they decided that free speech represents the spending of money and that corporations are um, eligible to do that. I think, you know, I, I think that was a pretty silly decision. Um, but that was a decision they made. They were an important stakeholder and they made a choice. Just like the consumer chooses between $5 and $15 T-shirts, the Supreme Court decides to endorse or or um, uh, to uh, strike down uh, that particular interpretation of, con of the U.S. Constitution. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't disagree about it being silly. But what I would like to see, look, what we need is for market signals to be loud and clear and simple. You know, if you had a toy and you took it to market and people couldn't put it together, you're not going to sell it. Nobody's going to buy it. The market's going to reject it. So the company will figure something else to do or wither away because that's kind of what companies do. Uh, I just think that $21 million spent uh, stopped a very valuable market signal. But again, you know, all they were doing presumably is spending that $21 million on TV advertising. They weren't actively bribing individual voters to vote one way or the other. You know, food is such an important industry you know what you you put it in your body every day and to demonstrate it has is obviously a direct correlation with with the health your health in the future people should have taken the time to educate themselves sufficiently to not necessarily be influenced by negative ads misleading ads if they existed and vote in the way that made the most sense I mean, you're talking about clear market signals. It would have been very easy for the people of Colorado and Oregon to send that market signal, and they decided not to. Okay, well, let's leave power disequilibriums aside for now in lieu of a couple of last questions. Uh, first, have you got a favorite organization you like to highlight or plug uh, in your writings or, or teaching? Uh, well... No, I plug, you know, that's a strong word. I tend not to endorse outcomes. I endorse processes. And so the whole idea of understanding uh, CSR's value creation and the aggregated uh, effect of the various interests of stakeholders is I don't want to say this is the correct behavior, this is not the correct behavior. I want stakeholders to bring their individual values and ethics to bear on the decisions they make with the knowledge that those decisions have consequences that they may or may not agree with. So, for example, if you want to talk about outsourcing, I don't particularly care whether a company gives a job to an individual American or an individual Pakistani or an individual Chinese. I think everybody has equal rights to a job and that one country doesn't, people, person from one country doesn't deserve higher rights to a job than anyone else. So I'm not going to say outsourcing is good or bad. What I want people to understand is when they go and shop at Walmart, they're automatically sending the message to Walmart that it's okay to fire Americans and hire Chinese people. And as long as we understand that and we're okay with that decision, then go ahead and do it. I don't think there's any objectively good or bad values associated with giving a job to a Chinese versus giving a job to an American. But I want people to understand there are direct consequences between the decisions they make and certain outcomes like 
closing factories in America and opening factories in, um, in China. So now, in terms of individual companies, um, as I say, plug is a little bit strong, but I think I'm not sure there are any surprises here. I, I mean, I love watching companies like Patagonia, how they, uh, how they operate, how they make decisions, the sort of counterintuitive uh, decisions they make, like the, you know, the, the don't buy the jacket campaign that was advertised on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Um, I worry about the scalability of operations like that, though. Um, I think Unilever is a great company to follow. Paul Pullman, the CEO of Unilever, I heard a podcast with him a while ago, and, and he gets these issues at a very, very deep level. He clearly was not just reading brief that the CSO officer had handed to him. He, he understands how all of this is interconnected and that he, as CEO of Unilever, is in a very unique position to, to create a great deal of value and distribute that value broadly to society. So I think Unilever is a great company. I think Nike also is a really good company and uh, is demonstrating how to design sustainability issues into their products from the ground up. Uh, I think they've learned a huge amount from the troubles they had in the 1990s and are now a really very progressive, um, very forward-thinking company. These companies are making big investments. Are, are they getting full value for their quote-unquote shared value or sustainability investments? Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure I even understand what that what that question means and what the full value. What I was going to say after giving my little list is that we need to remember that there is no company on the planet that is sustainable, right? Every company pollutes in some way. And by pollutes, I mean they, they draw in resources and they create waste. And so nothing in our economy, nothing, absolutely nothing about our economy is sustainable at the moment. And, you know, I was actually this morning just reading an article by Ray Anderson, and it was reminding me what a great job he did at Interface and how fundamentally he altered the operations of that company. But still, it's a chemically intensive company that produces great amounts of waste. And so that can't go on forever, right? We can't, given that the, the planet has a set amount of resources and we're using up more than we're preserving at the moment, Ultimately, we're going to run out. Now, it just depends when that ultimately is. Are we talking about 500 years from now, 1,000 years, or are we talking about a millennium from now? And so uh, I think we work towards the long term rather than the yeah. short term. Uh, so if you were one of these CEOs of a major company, what would you do? What, what would be your plan? What would you keep in mind? Uh stakeholder interests, value creation. Try and create as much value for as broad a range of stakeholders as possible. If you distribute that value over a greater number of stakeholders, your chances of uh, existing into the medium long term go up exponentially. Well, that's some pretty good advice. Uh, David, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, I've been waiting to speak with you for some time on these issues. Uh, I hope we can do it again soon. That'll be great. Thank you very much. And thanks to you, David. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Century podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed it. If if you like what you've heard, you can always go to sustainablecentury.net, check out our blog, see the full list of Sustainable Century podcasts, or if you'd rather listen to the blog, you can download a six-pack of Sustainable Century spoken blogs where yours truly reads six posts. Remember to press like in all the appropriate places, leave a comment, stir up a fuss, Spread the word. Tweet your thoughts about corporate sustainability out to the world. Again, you can find all this at www.sustainablecentury.net or via www.esglobal.com. That's the International Corporate Sustainability Advisory where I work. And let's keep the conversation going.